0: Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on Tuesday on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on today's program, a look at some Interesting headlines. There's uh, something kind of neat going on with the moon this month that you might want to keep an eye out for. We'll talk about that. Other headlines as well uh, The Trumpet Daily Radio Show and the Trumpet.com. We'll take a look at what's there today. And uh, we'll look at the uh, second law that you need if you want to be successful in life. There's seven of them. We'll talk about the second one today on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio. We're at 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm. Live link at thetrumpet.com. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcg.fm. Any emails that you'd like to send, send us to comments at kpcg.fm. Appreciate getting those uh, from the listeners. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today. And uh, it's been cold and clear the last couple of nights. And if uh, you've been in the, well, anywhere, I guess, in the U.S., and looked outside, uh, the moon looks huge. I saw it last night, the night before. Uh, it just seems like it's bigger than normal.
0: So uh, have you noticed that? Have you seen it? No, I haven't actually seen it. Probably some nights, though, it does look like it's coming toward the Earth, like the, which kind of is a little bit scary. But hopefully there's nothing going on there. <laughs> it's all part of the normal <laughs> process.
1: There's going to be a super moon tonight. The full moon will be the closest it gets to Earth in its orbit, making it appear a little bit bigger and a little bit brighter than a typical full moon. Uh, Not enough to, you know, knock you out of your shoes, so to speak, but a little bigger than normal, a little brighter than normal. And it's been bright the last few nights. You always know it's a bright moon when you can see. It's nighttime, but you can still see sort of, you know, okay? I always wonder if that's what cats see, like all the time. (laughs) They can see. They can see in the dark pretty well. Right, right. right? They
0: probably have hundred times better vision than most of us. It's uh,
1: uh, going to be a bright night. Also, there's a rare blue moon lunar eclipse that's going to happen this month on January the 31st. So if you're into uh, looking at the moon and the stars, this might be interesting for you. On January 31st, there will be a total lunar eclipse. Uh, what makes this one so special is that it's happening during a blue moon or the second full moon of the month, depending on which definition you go by, I guess. Uh, these two events haven't Coincided uh, since 1866, making this one of the first in over 150 years. The next one won't be until 2028, so I don't think anybody that's alive now was there at the last one in 1866, uh, <laughs> to my knowledge. But so, uh, and it won't come again for another uh, few years at least. So this will be a good one to look at if you're outside and take a look at the uh, rare blue moon lunar, lunar eclipse.
0: On January thirty first, the problem is it's so cold outside that probably no one's even going out to look. <laughs> yep. I haven't noticed anything about the moon just because we're bundled up inside by that time. Yep,
1: the only reason I noticed it, well, I saw it in the morning uh, when I left. I left pretty early for work, so I noticed it then. But also, uh, my son was just pleading with me to go throw the football <laughs> in the front yard. He's like, "Come on, let's throw the football." Ice bowl. I, I, yeah, it was the ice bowl, <laughs> and so we went out there, and it was. Uh, well, what time was it? It was about 5.30, I guess. And so it starts getting dark already, and the moon was coming up. So anyway, so yeah, we saw it out there then,
0: and um, uh, he didn't catch very many footballs. So you didn't even have to be watching a football game for him to be inspired last night?
1: <laughs> no, he just wanted to, well, he, he uh, was kind of uh, – he's on vacation from school, as a lot of students are, and uh, you know, I think you just get that energy, and you're like, come on, I want to do something, so – uh, many dads know that feeling. Come home from work, you don't want to do anything personally, <laughs> but the kids they want to do something. So uh, you throw the football, and uh, and it's hard because you have to wear gloves, and and it's harder to catch them. So <laughs> anyway, it was fun, and we saw the giant moon out there. And uh, I I don't know. I probably I probably had about five minutes where I was like, nah, I I got to go in. <laughs> Too cold can't handle it anymore. (laughs) So uh, I remember being that age and doing the same sort of thing. Mm. So when your daughter gets older, she'll want to, I don't know, she
0: might want to do that with you or something similar. It is really convenient right now because she's only six months old. So what I do with her is I hold her and then I can do whatever else I was doing while holding her. It's pretty easy. Yep. Put them in the little baby pack and carry them around. (laughs) You ever have it
1: happen where you go to the store or a public place and you're carrying uh, the baby in like one of those baby packs?
0: And people talk to the baby, but not you, yes, all, yeah, the all the time every time I'm holding her in any way anywhere anytime she's ever near me, people only notice her,
1: yeah, and then the, it's it's awkward because they're having a conversation with the baby it <laughs> but you're there as the the parent, and no
0: one talks to you, <laughs> and I just feel like telling them like she can't speak our language yet she doesn't even know what we're saying it's amazing, I don't know why this is, but <laughs> yeah uh people are just so
1: in most cases really friendly and outgoing towards babies uh, but Two other adults were not that same way, you know if you thought about, if we treated other adults like babies, it would be weird for one, but the friend for some reason the friendliness leaves I guess maybe it's because the baby's not going to really judge you can't mm. do anything you know true. it's gonna just it's gonna cry if it doesn't like it,
0: but then you just move on <laughs> right so I don't know it, it changes the way we interact yeah that's that's true it's it's funny you see like a totally different side of people when they're around small children, a side that they would never show you. If a small children if a small child wasn't right nearby it, uh, something I like to do and this probably may be weird but uh, at a store
1: or public place I like it when I can when the baby sees me but the adult doesn't I like to make a face at <laughs> yeah, the baby that's great <laughs> I think a lot of people do that oh yeah and the, the baby just gives you this look like what are you doing <laughs> and nobody it's just a little thing between you and the baby
0: yeah I've seen that a few times there there's a uh, there's a clip from this one sh- show where they're they're told to do these crazy things in public, and and the the guy was like, he was like, you better not tell your mom about this. You better not tell what you're seeing. And the, <laughs> the boy's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I even noticed it. <laughs> yeah, it's always uh, it's always funny to see the kids' reactions to things. Uh, a couple
1: of other headlines to look at today. Uh, this is a big ongoing story over in the Middle East. Iran has all these protests still ongoing. This is from Fox News. It says, Iran's supreme leader lashed out at the Islamic Republic's enemies, quote-unquote. In other words, anybody who doesn't agree with him. (laughs) As uh, the death toll from widespread protests rose to at least 20, and the theocratic regime faced its biggest internal threat since the so-called Green Movement of 2009, Uh, on his official website, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei blamed enemies of Iran on Tuesday, What's he gonna, who's going to blame? Friends of Iran? Of course, on Tuesday, after at least nine more people were reported uh, killed in violent clashes with security forces. And uh, so there's a lot of opinion out there about what's happening. And this is interesting, related to that from Breitbart. It says, former Obama advisors tell Trump to be quiet on Ar- Iran protests. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, President Trump tweeted several things, including this. He said, big protests in Iran. The people are finally getting wise as to how their money and wealth is being stolen and squandered on terrorism. Looks like they will not take it any longer. The USA is watching very closely for human rights violations. So I think he hit the nail on the head there. They're obviously (laughs) stealing the money and not letting the people, you know, have the prosperity that they would hope for. Uh, But this piece from Breitbart says, But the Obama brain trust rejects Trump's approach and apparently believes the approach Obama took in 2009 remains the best one. You remember the one where he didn't do anything. (laughs) Former National Security Advisor Susan Rice tweeted a New York Times op-ed by former Obama aide Philip Gordon. How can Trump help Iran's protesters? Be quiet. That's the title. The author argues that supporting the protests and taking steps to end the Iran nuclear deal will only help the regime to delegitimize its internal opponents. So they're saying that uh, the best course of action is to do nothing
0: when it comes to Iran. Would the protesters agree with that course of action I, last time they got crushed that's whenever the u s didn't do anything again, this just looks like another way that the Obama officials are trying to preserve his legacy because President Trump has pretty much dismantled everything that President Obama ever did It's always funny when it's a former say Obama aide writing a piece and then
1: another former member of the cabinet says, "Great job you know it's just like they're just they're, they're preaching to the choir there. Uh, from this New York Times piece that was uh, tweeted here, here's a couple of uh, uh, lines. It says one reason to worry that Mr. Trump may try to seize the moment by championing, championing the protesters is that it has become an article of faith among President Barack Obama's critics that in 2009 he missed a golden opportunity to do just that when many Iranians took to the streets after a disputed election result. The writer says from the New York Times, but it was never clear what difference American rhetorical support would have made then other than allowing the Iranian government to depict the protesters as American lackeys, giving, given, giving the security services more of a pretext to crack down violently. Uh, but you have to stop and say, well, then why did the Obama administration support very uh, vociferously the overthrow of Hosni and Mubarak in Egypt and Gaddafi and Libya? I mean, if the whole if the whole thought is, well, just stay out of it, it's not your business.
0: Well, they don't stay out of the Middle East. they stayed out of Iran, yeah, well, that piece there's a clear fallacy there because uh it's it's acting like to voice support instead of actually doing something about it. uh the Obama administration didn't just voice support for other movements i mean they in the case of like Libya, they actually helped help to enforce. The overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi. It wasn't just words, and that's the case here with Iran. They would have to do more than than just words. They're, they're, they're conveniently overlooking that part because they are quite supportive of President Obama's legacy over at the New York Times. It's also interesting, uh, like with those mullahs saying that Iran's enemies are to blame for this. Iran probably has the best list of enemies ever because what are we ever going to do about it we're not going to do a thing about it yet iran's acting like uh we're the cause of all their problems yeah one
1: last uh segment here from this uh, new york times write-up it says the protests taking place in iran today are perhaps a sign that in the long run the iranian people want to be accepted as free responsible members of the international community and that in time they might demand and achieve real change the best way for Mr. Trump to help that proposition and increase the chance of success is to do nothing <laughs> or another way to say it is the best way to ensure that the radical regime stays in power and uh, that would also be to do nothing it's not you know they're gonna I would imagine we'll see how it goes but I would imagine they will just crack down and put an end to it at some point and we'll just stand here doing nothing and so what will you have if that if that in fact does occur well you'll have a stronger Iran in terms of the leadership with more of a death grip on the people. So, you know, doing nothing, (laughs) it's just really interesting. Other than the point you bring out about trying to keep this nuclear deal, if you call it that, intact, uh, I don't know what the thinking would be to not support the fact that the people don't want that regime anymore. That regime hates America. It hates Israel. And so uh, unless it's just a legacy issue, which I'm sure it is, and you have to keep in mind too that a lot of is the people involved even in um say tweeting about this write up in support of the New York Times piece they're tweeting about that those are former aides of the Obama administration that we're meeting with Hamas we're meeting with those groups they they want to befriend the enemies and destroy our friends. It's such a
0: strange uh way of thinking yeah, it is the the line of reasoning there is impossible to follow if we do nothing. What do they think is actually going to take place? Are the mullahs going to get guilty and then loosen their grip of power on the people somehow? Or are they going to suddenly change their ideology and their motivation to destroy America? Of course not. They're not going to change anything if we do nothing. It's going to remain the same way it's always been. Um, what what could possibly be the benefit of doing something like that? These people, uh, these former Obama f- officials, never... Quite state how it's going to change the situation by doing nothing. Yeah, and uh, as you pointed
1: out, I mean, even though the um, it's it's good now that there's at least something being said uh, positively about changing that regime over there, nothing's being done about it. So. Yeah, we'll see how it all progresses, but uh, there's a really great booklet at thetrumpet.com, King of the South, that talks a lot about Iran and that region and uh, gives a big overview of where things are
0: heading. So it's interesting to see how these little pieces uh, fall into place. Well, uh, America couldn't possibly be the most intimidating enemy because there's not really much of a threat of us just going over there and recklessly bombing them. I mean, there are other nations in the world that you wonder if at some point they're going to try to do that to you if you happen to be on their bad side. America's a bit too diplomatic for that. They will issue a strong rebuke in writing first, and they will they might give a speech about it. Eventually they might impose sanctions, but it's going to take a whole lot to ever get to the point of military engagement. Our, our enemies know that. They're not going to... They they know where the line is. It's very far away from how, how far they've advanced, apparently, and so they don't have too much to worry about regarding us.
1: No, they, they sure don't. And you can think back to just... Uh, what was it, a few months ago when they basically told us to get out of Iraq, that Iran, this is Iran's turf
0: now, and so they're, they're pretty bold. Our people just don't support any sort of uh, boots on the ground in any location right now, and so no matter who the leader is, it's going to be really difficult to change that broken will.
1: You know, and for all of Iran's uh, rhetoric and so forth, I don't think they're much of a, at this exact juncture, much of a military threat, other than, say, a nuclear weapon. They use terrorism, but if it was a military showdown, and the U.S. actually had the will to do something about it, uh, I don't think it would take take long at all.
0: No, it would take like a day or two. That's that's the the crazy part of this whole thing is that a, a little gnat buzzing around our head is is being this effective without us even just swatting it away.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to uh, see how what happens over there uh, in uh, Iran. Here's a write-up from Reuters that's kind of interesting. It highlights the uh, the contention in Germany between different ways of thinking about the immigration situation. It says, German police accuse AFD lawmaker of incitement over anti-Muslim tweet. German police have asked prosecutors to investigate a far-right lawmaker for possible incitement to hatred after she criticized a police force uh, for tweeting in Arabic quote, to, uh, to appease the barbaric Muslim rapist hordes of men. <laughs> so that's pretty, uh, pretty strong uh, words there. However, I mean, that is actually what happened True. last a uh, year ago. So police in the state of uh, North Rhine-Westphalia posted a New Year's Eve greeting in Arabic as well as German, English and French. Cologne, a city where groups of mainly Arab immigrants were accused of sexual assaults at New Year's Eve celebrations—oh, it's two years ago—is located in the state. So you can see there's a lot of bad blood there. Uh, and so this uh, lady politician, she writes, "What is wrong in this with this country?" I cleaned that up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> why is the official page of police in NRW tweeting in Arabic? Uh, Beatrix von Storch, a member of the anti-immigrant alternative for Germany, AFD, wrote on December 31st tweet that was later uh, later deleted. She said, are they seeking to appease the barbaric Muslim rapist hordes of men? (laughs) Twitter suspended her account for some 12 hours after she posted the message. That's like a timeout. Saying it uh, breached the micro-blogging website's uh, rules that bar users from posting hateful messages. So (laughs) that was a pretty strong message. However, uh that is in response to what actually did happen a couple of years ago that's that is what happened over there but anyway you can see even though this would be probably an extreme politician uh, there is some sentiment of that way that says hey come on now <laughs> what country are we living in here some people want
0: multiculturalism and some people do not and the fact is that certain cultures are better than others it doesn't mean that certain people are just inherently made to be better people but the cultures are different and uh, it does seem like the Islamic culture does oppress women in particular. Uh, obviously, they don't think too highly of them if so many of them are going to be assaulting them in the streets like that. Uh, that's something to be acknowledged and something that needs to be cleaned up in that culture. Or don't let that culture come into your country and cause problems like that. Those are those are real issues, and the women who got attacked uh, there probably would agree with what that person said because they have firsthand experience Unlike all these other people who are going to criticize what she said, they have firsthand experience of what it's like to encounter big groups of Muslim men.
1: Yeah, so interesting, uh, very divisive over there in uh, Germany. So we'll see how that progresses. Uh, but a, lot of, a lot of people kind of do feel that way, I guess, in that country. Just very different cultures. You know, Germany's, uh, they're, for the most part, very law-abiding, very structured individuals that's their society and then they have this influx of people that are casting off laws casting off you know uh their culture and so um and then like you say i mean if if you were somebody that was a victim of some of these problems from a couple years ago and then you see uh more appeasement
0: uh you could understand why people would be upset. So, and you do make a good point too—that it's not even just a matter of sexual assault; it's a general disrespect for the laws of their host country. Now, I mean, th- those men have been uh, reported to uh, basically harass police officers a lot more often because they don't respect law enforcement over in germany uh they litter more they relieve themselves in public more things like that that are just not acceptable in germany they do it without an issue because to them the only real law that has authority over them is sharia law there was
1: i remember a couple maybe it was a year ago there was a story i don't know if it was in germany it was somewhere in europe where uh the the uh the delivery service wouldn't deliver packages in a certain neighborhoods because yeah. of the high concentration
0: of, of immigrants there from uh from some of those Muslim countries. It was just too dangerous. They've gone into stores and just taken things off the shelves and left, not even trying to hide the fact that they were robbing stores. Mm-hmm. I mean, norm, regular German citizens are not doing things like that because they do have a fear of repercussions. It, to a certain extent, it does seem like the Muslims doing things like that at least have people on their side to defend them no matter what they're doing.
1: Well, whenever it's a mob, it's hard to control like that that uh, new year's thing 2 years mm-hmm. ago. There's a lot of you see that happen here in the US with different uh flash mobs show up and attack a store or something and it's like what can you do about it? So, uh can't go on too much longer before they they do uh feel like they need to crack down in some specific way. So that, that's interesting. Make sure you check out com today. The top story is America's Retreat from Global Leadership by Andrew Miller, uh, a trend that is reshaping the world order. Uh, and so it is interesting because while I think uh, at least in some cases the U.S. is saying the right thing now, we still are sort of retreating from doing a lot about it. And And then when you have a whole America First policy, you know, people in America like it, and there's some benefit to that. But then you also shrink away from dealing with other global issues, and the, who do you leave it to? You know, you leave it you leave it to Germany to deal with German problems. You leave it to, uh, you know, I guess Israel to deal with Israeli problems, and that that sort of thing. And uh, and that's uh, when you don't have America as the global policeman, even though it's it's a hard job, and a thankless job you do leave it to uh, somebody else. And who is that other person You know, or that other group? You, you see Russia getting stronger. China's making its moves, especially economically. Europe, there is a write-up today about how uh, some in Europe are, are thinking there's going to be some big crisis in 2018. They just, I don't know what they're looking at, but they think something's going to pop up and they got to be ready for it uh, because people can't count on America anymore. So these other nations feel like they need to take a
0: stand for uh, their self-interest truly putting America first would also include foreign policy and not just domestic policy. That's kind of where we've gone to, though, is we've turned inward to look at things that are happening right now within our own borders. But when you do that, if any nation ever does something like that, they become ignorant to the threats that lie beyond that might like what they see in America and and want to take advantage of it. The illegal immigration issue. uh, Thankfully, we've been taking. Trying to take care of that just because those people are coming into the country. But what about in regions around the world like the Middle East or over in Asia or Africa, uh, South America? There are American interests in all of those locations, especially uh, in a place like Europe as well. Um, you can't just turn inward and ignore what's going on elsewhere because that's actually a national security threat and it really does limit. Uh, your ability to make sure that the world is a stable place no other like you mentioned no other superpower would would ever make sure the world is as peaceful as america would
1: yeah unfortunately you can't just take a time out from the world and say you know what we'll check back in 50 years <laughs> because because problems are global and they do come come to your shores eventually if you don't deal with them other places uh, also, make sure you stop and check out the Trump Daily Radio show today with your host, Stephen Fleury. Some really interesting uh, information on that program, including uh, some snippets of an interview with a, uh, from I think it was an NPR program, uh, this uh, black minister in Baltimore. Uh, he wants the police to be around, keep him safe. In the, and uh, he's right in those neighborhoods. And he's there, and he, he is, uh, uh, you know, definitely seeing every day what's happening on the street and he doesn't want the police to leave he wants them to stay and the point is made that it's easy for journalists to write from their offices which are usually pretty comfortable or broadcast and and you know give their opinion that well the police shouldn't be there or they should back off they don't live in those neighborhoods and so they don't <laughs> they're they're divorced from the reality of it baltimore sun headline today First two murders of the year happened just after you know midnight on January first, and uh it's getting to the point where you know the police don't want to be there because first of all, it's a very dangerous job for them uh just anyway, but now, if you have people kind of looking at them and saying, "Well, did you do something illegal you know as the mob would view it <laughs> because they're in the middle of a life and death battle and they pulled a gun or something uh there's just a lot of reasons to stay out of those neighborhoods, but people that actually live there that are not
0: criminals. They want the police presence. Right, and the problem with liberalism in general is that people who espouse these ideas are never putting themselves in that situation. They live in comfortable, gated communities in a lot of cases. They are trying to enforce policies on those who are living in a completely different situation and could not relate to them on in, in any way on an everyday basis. That's, that's what the issue is. Uh, all these liberal ideas... They might sound nice in theory, yet in actual practice, when you put yourself in that situation, whether you put yourself in the situation of a police officer going through a simulator and seeing if you would actually be successful in handling all these life or death situations, or if you put yourself in the situation of all those living there who don't know if their front windows are going to be blown out by a drive-by shooting on a given night, or if someone's just going to kick down their door and attack them. Uh, yeah, they all want police officers there. You, you don't know what it's like to live in a place like that. And for you to <laughs> just sit there on your computer and type up anti-police rhetoric and get these people stirred up against the ones who are trying to protect them, that's actually an evil thing to do.
1: Yeah, the only people that are ever upset about the police are criminals. Because they're they're doing illegal things and and the police are trying to stop them. uh, But somehow there is sort of that thought that they're the enemy out there, but that's not the case. So anyway, really interesting perspective there from somebody who does live in that uh, Baltimore area and and does does want to see more police around, but uh, good luck trying to find that. Um, Another uh, topic that was mentioned, it's really interesting here, uh, especially if you like archaeology, There's a story today. Israeli archaeologists find a 2,700-year-old governor of Jerusalem seal impression. Israeli archaeologists unveiled on uh, Monday, yesterday, a 2,700-year-old clay seal impression, which they said belonged to a biblical governor of Jerusalem. Lo and behold, the the, the Jews have been there a long time, apparently. (laughs) The artifact inscribed in an ancient Hebrew script as belonging to the governor of the city was likely attached to a shipment or sent as a souvenir on behalf of the governor, the most prominent local position held in Jerusalem at the time, according to the Israel Antiquities Authority. The impression, the size of a small coin depicts two standing men facing each other in a mirror-like manner and wearing striped garments reaching down to their knees. It was unearthed near the plaza of Judaism's Western Wall in the Old City of Jerusalem. They say it supports the biblical rendering of the existence of a governor of the city in Jerusalem 2700 years ago. Governors of Jerusalem, appointed by the king are mentioned twice in the Bible in 2nd Kings, which refers to Joshua holding the position and in Second Chronicles, which mentions uh, uh, Messiah, Massii, I don't know if I said that right, in the post um, during the reign of Josiah. The Antiquities Authority's announcement came several weeks after U.S. President Donald Trump recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital, the decision that overturned decades-old policy on the status of the city and stirred Palestinian protests and international concern. It's always amazing when archaeology reveals something that uh, proves the Bible, you know, the uh, depiction was, uh, or the the inscription was um, in Hebrew, <laughs> and it said, uh, the governor of the city, so uh, 2,700 years ago. It's amazing that, that some would still claim that the Jews don't belong there when they keep finding things like this.
0: Yeah, you really do have to work hard to close your eyes to the evidence if you are anti-Israel today. The reality is that Jerusalem has been the capital of Israel for thousands of years, and even after the kingdom split, you know, like around 1000 B.C., it was still the capital of Judah. And modern Judah today is what is called the nation of Israel, as confusing as that might be. But still, they've been there for <laughs> several thousand years. And people still try to claim that their right to the land is false. These uh, seal impressions keep uh, showing up. Those,
1: uh, I guess they're they're Bula's, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the same. It's another way to say it. There's a really uh, great Key of David program on thetrumpet.com now about the uh, Hezekiah Bulla, which was found uh, on a dig that uh, students from Herbert W. Armstrong College helped in, which, uh, of course, we're broadcasting from Herbert W. Armstrong College. So uh, quite a few of the students here have had a hand in that, and uh, in, in some of the digs over the years are going to be doing some more as well. So we have a real interest in uh, the archaeology over there because uh, it does uh, it's physical proof of the Bible and uh it's it's amazing the more they dig the more they find and you'd think you know if politics aside if they just really got in there and just dug in that, that area um the more they dug the more they'd find it would be fascinating
0: yeah these clay seals it must be really durable to withstand many thousands of years and still be enough intact that you can actually read what's what's written on them see their symbol their stamp of authority or approval uh that's that's quite impressive how they were able to make things that, that stood the test of time like that too. Yeah, I don't know. Do we make anything today that would last so long? Coke uh, cans? Probably Coke bottles. Twinkies. <laughs> Twinkies.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah some the food products <laughs> that could last twenty seven hundred years. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, really, really uh great history there. So, uh anyway, there's some about that on the Trumpet Daily Radio show as well. And a lot on the Trumpet dot com. And watch Jerusalem, the website as well, that just uh, really focuses on what's happening over there in Jerusalem. And of course, students from uh, here at Herbert W. Armstrong College. Pretty soon, there's quite a quite a group of them heading over to do a dig as well, over there. And uh, who knows what they'll find? So keep uh, listening for the, uh, especially the trumpet daily radio show. And then, of course, the trumpet dot com will have uh, good updates about that. Um, and and uh, it's always exciting to see what uh, what you'll find uh, uh, over there. So uh, pretty interesting news. Uh, today is the second of January. And here's something interesting from this day historically, eighteen ninety two Ellis Island opened as America's first federal immigration center. Annie Moore, she was fifteen years old at the time, became the first person to pass through. so that's pretty notable <laughs> from eighteen ninety two t- until nineteen fifty four over twelve million immigrants came through Ellis Island into the United States, so legally, I might add <laughs> so the u s has been open to immigration, still is,
0: but there's a there's a process. Those were the good old days when people actually used to sail across the Atlantic and take the effort to uh, do it legally. We don't see that uh, being valued as much anymore because there are people in the media and in politics who conflate illegal and legal immigration as if they're the exact same thing. And if you happen to say that someone uh, disrespecting the laws of the country to get here illegally, uh, and and if you have a problem with that, well, then somehow you're against all immigration. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty big stain on someone's reputation to, to accuse someone of something like that. Lots of people came through uh, Ellis
1: Island. Between 1905 and 1914, an average of 1 million immigrants per year arrived in the United States. Immigration officials reviewed about 5,000 uh, immigrants per day during peak times at Ellis Island. Two-thirds of those individuals emigrated from eastern, southern, and central Europe the peak year for immigration at Ellis Island was nineteen oh seven, with one million four thousand seven hundred and fifty six immigrants processed. The all time daily high occurred on April seventeenth, nineteen oh seven, when eleven thousand seven hundred and forty seven immigrants arrived. So, uh you can go look at the pictures of Ellis Island from that time and and sort of the restored building now and it's it's fascinating to look at it and think, wow, what would it have been like, you know? People walking through there, starting this new life. Uh, just what the emotions would be like, the feelings would be like. And I, I think it'd be interesting to work there too, every day to see these people come in and they're beginning their new life. So probably a lot of joy and excitement and uh, but probably mixed emotions
0: too, I would think. That's probably where that phrase rags to riches comes from too because people probably spent their entire life savings in some cases just to get to America and yet they knew once they got here they had a chance to be whatever they could possibly dream of that's that was the hope that was the excitement of it it wasn't a matter of coming here to just plunder the benefits like uh so many are doing now i actually saw an interesting lecture yesterday um this guy was talking about how um the the idea that we are trying to help the poor we are trying to solve world pro- poverty by bringing in immigrants is totally false because we're only bringing in 1 million a year and that's legally uh, many of them from places in South America that are actually richer than about 5 billion people in the rest of the world. If you talk about all of Africa, where they're on average making less than $2 a day, how how is it that if we're trying to um, solve poverty, we're only bringing in these people who are better off than those in Africa, better off than most of the people in Asia or uh, places like that? So. It's it's not a matter of solving poverty. It's it's about bringing in a totally different voting base. That's that's really why people are motivated to do that. And if it's only a million a year, that's not making a dent in the almost 6 billion people in the world who are chronically poor. There's a story today, too,
1: about California. Of course, they're, they're I guess, sort of thumbing their nose at, at the <laughs> federal government. But somebody put up a sign on one of their Welcome to California signs that said— uh, um, or oh, what did it say? It was uh, uh, about them being a uh, what's the term? The state they're the um, sanctuary sanctuary. State. Thank you. Yeah, the, the term escaped me there. <laughs> sanctuary state. So welcome to California, the sanctuary state. So somebody put <laughs> that up on the bottom. It's a really official looking sign too. Mm-hmm. They didn't just like scrawl it in marker. I mean they they put it up there. And so you know we we have these uh, these disagreements again between state and f- and federal governments on those things and. Uh, you know, and I can understand that there might be some disagreements, but but you still have to uphold the laws. If you don't uphold the laws, then then uh, what do you have? You don't even have a nation. If you don't have boundaries, if you don't have laws, uh, I mean, there's a way to try to change the law. But you know, even when they were dealing with the the slavery issue and Lincoln was coming into office in that time, I mean, he always said, well, you know, he was against slavery, but at the same time, he was also against. Like radically, um, just destroying it with you know physical attacks and violence, and now it did end up being a war ultimately. But, but he was he always said, well, you got to follow the laws and then try to change them if you don't like them. Mm-hmm. But he was always for following the laws, and I think that that's the important principle that uh, that should be looked at is that okay if they want to change a law, there's a way to do it legally. You can't just say I'm not going to keep that law
0: or else you don't have a nation anymore. And President Lincoln was a bit cautious about radically mixing different cultures. Um, the way it is today, there are whole towns or entire schools that don't speak English. You know, that's, that's not uh, quite how it should be because imagine if we did that anywhere else, if we moved to a place by the millions, didn't learn their language, didn't keep their laws. We actually just snuck in illegally, immediately got on government benefits. Uh, I don't think any other nation in the whole world would be expected to uh, take on Americans who were doing something like that. So why is it that Americans have to deal with that indignity?
1: Yeah, that's like taking over a
0: nation. That's colonizing. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. they criticize Western nations for colonizing, and yet it's it's actually reverse colonization today. It's a new term for
1: 2018 <laughs> reverse colonization. Uh, so an interesting note for uh, January the second, uh, Ellis Island opened 1892. America's first federal immigration center, and uh, lots came through over the years. Uh, One uh, quick sports note that's kind of interesting. Um, You do have to hand it, I guess, to uh, professional athletes. They are pretty tough individuals, (laughs) for better or worse. Drew Stanton, he's a backup quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, but he played a lot this year. He played the whole year with a torn ACL in his knee. Oh! He just said he'd play through it, and he says he doesn't want surgery. He's just going to deal with it. Wow. So torn. Yeah, you. I think Elway played. John Elway played without ACLs. Mm-hmm. They were torn. So I mean, it can happen. But still, that's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. if That's a good, bad, or otherwise. But you have to admire, I guess, that he was somewhat tough. Um, as I'm reading that, I'm like rubbing my knee <laughs> I know. It makes me cringe to hear about yeah. it. yeah, so uh, it's always
0: amazing when you hear that because you think torn ACL means like you're done, but some people can manage it. yeah, I've actually my mom tore ACL and she didn't get a surgery. Those surgeries can be kind of fickle because I've also heard of other people who tore it, got the surgery, then they you know, they might have just tripped or they stumbled, and the thing tore again. So it's like if you tear it once, it's it's a lot easier for it to happen again. So why waste all the money to do that? I would think for a quarterback, obviously they're they're dealing with extreme impact in, in their job. So maybe wearing a knee brace would at least keep the the leg from bending in a certain way if the ACL's gone. Yeah, there's a lot of uh,
1: there's a lot of different thoughts on that. Um, it's interesting. They out, they did a study where people had injuries to their knees, I think it was ACLs, and um, they had a, a certain group that had surgery and a certain group that didn't, mm-hmm. and then they looked at them five years on, and there wasn't a whole lot of difference. Right, um, But, but you know, I guess they recommend that if somebody's young and they want to do all kinds of active things, they should do something. If, they, if they're older and they don't care, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Or I shouldn't say it's no big deal, but it's different. So anyway, I don't know. It's always changing the way they deal with those things and uh, the way they think about them. So uh, that's the thing with the
0: medical it's a practice, right, so they're they're still practicing yeah they don't they don't repair themselves, do they the a c l they they just no. remain torn but you can just exist without them basically, yeah,
1: I think because the blood flow in that area is pretty limited, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't heal yeah. that's what I've read anyway, so it's hard for that to that uh, to heal heal up but uh, anyway they said it was hanging by a thread <laughs> and it went this sheer on him and he oh, just no. just kept on playing so i had him i had him for my fantasy quarterback one week cuz all my other guys got hurt and he did not he did not deliver so he, he was hurt too <laughs> <laughs> so i benched him i benched you drew you <laughs> uh, you listening to Trumpet Radio live here on 101.3 kpcg thanks for joining us online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com as well and uh, if you'd like to email us, send uh, those comments to comments at kpcg.fm. We're happy to take a look at those for you. We've been talking uh, this week about the seven laws of success. Uh, it's a great book. It's at thetrumpet.com. It's free, uh, written by Herbert W. Armstrong. And he talks about seven laws, seven principles to put into uh, app, to apply and to put into uh, use in your life to help you become a success. And uh, we talk about the uh, second law today, which is... Uh, education. Uh, first law was to fix the right goal. Figure out what you want to do in life, and of course, you can look at this on the the level of the ultimate purpose of life, spiritually, and uh, but then also for the physical level in terms of jobs and things like that. Fixing the right goal is the uh, the first uh, uh, step, the first law to success, and then the second one is education or preparation. Uh, you might want to be a um, Oh, I don't know, an astronaut. (laughs) You have to learn how to be an astronaut. (laughs) No matter what you're doing,
0: proper education and preparation is essential. True. And even before being an astronaut, it's it's important to learn how to read. But there are people around the world who don't even get that opportunity, probably wouldn't even be able to read a single word in any language. Uh, So it is even a blessing to have the opportunity to read or to to be able to be educated like we are here in America. and, And in quite a few other places, but not everywhere.
1: Yeah, and there is, I don't know, it does seem like there's somewhat of a stigma against um, being educated, you know. I i mean, on one hand, uh, just if you listen to the way people speak in general, um, it can be pretty rough in terms of <laughs> grammatical rules and so forth. Not that anybody's Shakespeare necessarily, we all <laughs> probably have our colloquialisms that pop up, but... Uh, you know, when you hear some people speak, uh, interviewed on TV or something else, and you think, well, do you even know the English language? <laughs> I mean, what are these words that are even being said? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I wasn't watching like Telemundo. I think it was a English channel. <laughs> uh, but there, so there's that sort of thing. But then there's also this really, uh, uh, value, I guess, put on you know going to a prestigious university, getting a big degree, and so forth. So there's kind of like extremes. You know, people that that think it's education in that sense is everything, others that don't seem to care about it so much. But you have to find a a proper education for what you want to do. And it's pointed out here that, you know, um, humans, of course, we don't come with uh, instinct. We don't don't just know how to do things. So we have to be educated from the earliest days to walk, to talk, to do just the basics of life, and then go on from there to figure out, okay, what what do I want to do in life, and then how do I go about preparing for that, especially when you're younger you know, uh, you could do it at any age, I suppose. But, you know, when you're a teenager, early twenties, you know, that's when you're really getting the
0: bulk of your education, but those years can be squandered too. And you mentioned, uh, just, uh, preparing yourself and, and having, uh, being educated, like how, how big of a deal that is to a lot of people to where you might even go into tens of thousands of dollars of debt to get that education. Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, who wrote this booklet actually was self-educated. He, he pretty much went to the library and studied day and night uh, for six months straight to prove his religion. And then beyond that, just in general, he was always reading. He was always studying, uh, whether it was to be good in the advertising field, which is what he started out with, or just to learn about the world around him. He was naturally curious and he had that drive to go get that education himself. So it's not, education is not limited to going to a big university and going into debt for that. Uh, it's also definitely not going to the other extreme and saying, since you can't afford going to a university, you're not going to even do anything about it.
1: Yeah. There, there is, uh, I guess sort of this idea that, uh, if you're in a, uh, say an impoverished situation, or or you're not where you want to be uh, in terms of finance and stuff. The the best thing to do is to go and get a big degree, and then go make a lot of money. Now, now maybe that's the case for some, but a lot of times what happens is people come out with a massive amount of debt, student loans, which a lot of people deal with. And may yeah, maybe you earn a fair bit, but maybe you don't. There's a lot, there's a lot of degrees where people don't earn a whole lot of money. And not that that's everything, but but at the same time, uh, I always try to think of it in the reverse. You know, if you if somebody came up to you and said, um, I'll give you the choice. I'll, you can go get this degree or I'll give you $50,000 cash right now. <laughs> I think I'd be like, well, I think I'll take the cash and then I'll think about it.
0: <laughs> that's a good way <laughs> you know, of looking at you it. You know, because that's it's, what yeah.
1: you're doing in effect is you're giving that money or more for this, this uh, education. It might be valuable, but it might not, so, like you said, and like it's pointed out in this booklet, you have to have the right goal like what's the end goal here what are you what are you going towards uh and is it worth what you're going to do to get this degree and as uh you know you hate to uh <laughs> hate to bust the uh the bubble here and tell everybody the big secret, but um, you don't have to go into debt to go to college either. it's true. you could
0: work your way through it, yeah, and some people do that, yeah, that's actually the way the way to go because otherwise. You know, you're you're spending all this money, and you're going into debt, which is going to probably affect you for decades. Uh, But even then, uh, most universities are pretty distracting environments um, in in a lot of immoral ways. But just other than that, too. So how many people going into all that debt are actually making the most of being in that situation and attending all their classes, despite the fact that they might, there might be hundreds of people in the class and the teacher wouldn't notice if you skipped anyway? Are there, are there really people who are taking full advantage of that education and, and really putting in the hard work to every assignment to learn about whatever the subjects are?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of distractions at some, some universities. When I, when I was in high school, I remember uh, the, they always recommended that you didn't go to the main school down at Madison, at least not for the first two years, because a lot of cases kids went and they couldn't handle the freedom, the parties, et cetera, mm. and a lot of them would wash out and come back home because there was too many distractions. for University the, of Wisconsin. Yeah, too yeah. many distractions. So uh, they recommended that people got their first two years in at something a little more more in the community mm-hmm. and then go to the, the bigger one because there were too many cases where people came back. And like you said, they, they didn't go to the classes. They got caught up in the life, which was maybe fun for a short time, but they didn't learn much of anything. Uh, well, they learn things, but not the things that they were supposed to be learning. <laughs> so you'd have to be careful, uh, again, and that gets back to fixing the right goal. I mean, if, you're, if your goal is to learn to become the, the party master, then, then the goal achieved. <laughs> but if that's not the goal, then
0: uh, then uh probably didn't go the right direction there. And that does hurt a lot of parents, too, if they send their kids off to a university and then the kids flunk out immediately. I mean, hopefully they would get a job and start supporting themselves, but... You would think they already went into quite a bit of debt just to be there for the short time before they flunked out. And someone has to pay those bills. If it's not the student, often that falls on the parents. So even the parents are affected by uh, wrong choices when it comes to education. Yeah. Uh
1: Education is uh, a good quality education, though, is vital and important. And Mr. Armstrong points out here that one of the first things that we all need to learn is that we need to learn. And that's a lifelong process. And he says, once you have learned enough to choose a goal, and and even that takes an education, right? I mean, because it's easy to say, well, I'd like to be, name it. But if you don't actually know what goes into it, or if you'd have an aptitude for it, or if you'd even like it, you're kind of wasting your time. So, you know, he talks about in other write-ups about how he um, took an aptitude test. I think those are still available. I've seen those to where you, because you have to even learn what you even want to do in the first place or what you'd be good at. Uh, You know, if you ask a bunch of grade school kids what they want to do, you know, they all have some pretty interesting ideas, (laughs) but do they actually know what goes into that? You know, probably not. So we even have to be educated to know what path we want to take as far as the rest of our education goes.
0: Right. It's almost like you have to get a well-rounded general liberal arts type of education into a lot of different subjects. And then based on all that knowledge you've accumulated, you can then pick your goal from that. You'll actually know where your aptitudes might lie, and, and what you might do the best in, and then the specific education then could be targeted at whatever that specific goal was. Yeah, um, and
1: that's pointed out here. You know, Once you have enough additional education, training experience, and so forth to even know what goal you want, then go after the rest of that education. Education includes uh, not only book learning but personality development, leadership experience knowledge from contacts and associations and from observation so there's a lot of ways that we have to learn it's not just um, you know sitting in a classroom that's part of it as well but uh, there's a lot that can be learned other places as well um, and he points out something really important here he said there is then a right and a false education I mean you can go and spend a lot of money um, and get a really big education if you want to say it that way but it may not be the right education it might be false there's a lot of things taught at universities that just are not true and some things are but some things aren't and so again it takes uh, a lot of study and thinking uh to even begin to discern is this a right education or a false education you can, i mean you can get a full on degree probably in uh you know i don't know gender studies
0: or something <laughs> but uh maybe wasting your time you very well might be because what kind of what kind of job could you even get from a thing like that? And would it be edifying or would you end up being angry your whole life because of all the inequities that you've discovered in that, in that type of a course? Obviously, that's a waste of time education. If it's not something that improves you as a person and makes you want to try to reach your incredible human potential, that's, that type of education really is a waste of time.
1: Yeah, he, Mr. Armstrong points out that right education – must teach that all things are a matter of cause and effect that for every result whether good or evil there is a cause true education will teach the cause of this world's evils of personal or collective troubles so that they may be avoided also it must instruct in the cause of the good results that we may know how to win them instead of the troubles right education must not stop at uh, teaching to live it must know and teach the purpose of human life and how to fulfill it, as he's pointed out many times. Uh, most education is about how to make money, uh, which is a sense. I mean, we do need to know that. Although some of it's not, because there's some degrees that you're not going to make. <laughs> you're not going to make money <laughs> with them. But, uh, but there's more to life than just making a lot of money. Obviously, because again, this is talking about seven principles, uh, seven keys to success, and success isn't just about making a lot of money. Though having some money does help. But as he points out here, right education teaches this cause and effect. And we don't hear a lot about that um, in education today. M- maybe maybe you would in some of the sciences, you know, uh, or, or, you know, more basic uh, classes, like say if you uh, went into electrical engineering, you'd need to know about cause and effect or you'd be dead. <laughs> so <laughs> there are some that teach that, but then there are a lot of uh, classes that don't even
0: touch on the cause and effect, uh, the cause for good or the cause for evil. Right. Education is about trying to discern the cause or discern the difference between good and evil. And even if you just take the sexual assault issue that we have on our hands today, people are coming out every day with new accusations and probably a lot of them are true, but how are these things happening? Is there a, is there a real cause for the problem that we have that we're trying to deal with? Uh, would pornography have anything to do with it? Would adultery have anything to do with it? Would fornication have anything to do with it? Or are we just going to pretend that every type of sexual interaction is fine, homosexual, heterosexual, whatever it might be, as long as both sides consent? Obviously, we're we're trying to draw a pretty uh, murky line there, and we're not identifying the true cause of the problem. Yeah, it's, it's interesting.
1: It's always interesting when... So the calendar year changes and people like to look back on the year or look back to years past and uh, I can't help but notice sometimes you see like old news stories of social changes and social movements from, you know, two decades ago or something and most people that were involved in that are dead <laughs> and they're not they're not dead of natural, you know, they just got old. They got sick, they had problems, <laughs> diseases, things pop up. I just happened to notice a story like that the other day, and somebody commented on it like, oh, isn't that interesting? Those people aren't alive anymore. You know, it's easy to think, uh, not think about cause and effect, but it, it does, uh, it, it's a law that does uh, that does come into effect, and you can't, can't stop it. Mr. Armstrong says that uh, decadent education has spawned student revolt, which has on occasion plunged many colleges and universities into states of violence and chaos. Have we seen that, you know, recently, last few years? Oh, of course we have. I mean, you could find probably almost every day some write-up about conflict, at least on these campuses, between, you know, free speech and not free speech and who can speak and who can't. Uh, you know, is that education? What what goal is that leading anybody towards besides anarchy?
0: Yeah, that's right. And And the thing is, universities used to be about the free exchange of ideas, at least here in America and probably a lot of other places too. But even now, that has devolved into endless bickering that would absolutely never end unless you pointed to God as the ultimate authority. That's the only thing that could settle these endless debates. And of course, we've gone beyond just bickering to outright violence, politically motivated violence, people attacking public officials or people assaulting members of groups they don't agree with, regardless of what their ideas are, it's never fine to physically attack somebody but we've gotten to that point at our universities where leftist ideology is taught to these kids they're they're being brainwashed and they think there's a threat from anyone who disagrees with them so of course then it's justified to attack those people who disagree
1: it's a challenge to find a true education that is for sure that's worth your time and leads to a good in a right and a goal that does have lasting success but education is important it just has to be the right education that's the second law of success uh, the booklet is The Seven Laws of Success you can find it at thetrumpet.com and uh, we'll talk about that uh, more throughout this week as well so it's so a great booklet to look at uh, that's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live make sure you listen for the uh, Kia David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio show it's all coming your way here in just a bit For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.
0: You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.